0: Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. The famous refrain of Jeremiah 17 verse 7, What a blessing it is for all of us today to express our trust in the Lord by assembling as He is commanded, to offer a proper worship again as He is commanded unto His matchless and grand name in heaven. As we've mentioned already today by way of our prayers and the songs that we have sung, what an enriching and an encouraging matter of service already we have so beautifully enjoyed. As mentioned also previously, how thankful we are for the presence and for the health each of us enjoy, for the visitors who've come our way, and we truly trust that we each can be encouraged in the things most holy by our opportunity to come together this morning. Jesus did say, did He not, in Matthew chapter 4, that you and I should ever remember to worship the Lord, and Him only shalt thou serve. Today, as I stand before an audience like this one, appreciative of the desire of the hearts of each of us to have assembled, what a grand way it is to begin the week just as God has set before us. It is with that in mind that I would invite you to consider a lesson entitled Guarantee of Prosperity, as you can see on the wall to my left. As you think about the word guarantee, what a strong term in many ways. In fact, in life, isn't it true that we frequently seek for guarantees? We frequently want assertions that are certain, no uncertainty in them, no character of doubt about the nature of its fulfillment. We like guarantees, at least in general. Here are some considerations. The word prosperity obviously has behind it the notion of succeeding, it has behind it the thought of thriving. There isn't a one of us who doesn't, in at least one way or another, wish for a kind or a type of prosperity. And isn't it a bit interesting to think about the election that you and I witnessed just a few days ago? It seems that at least every four years, one of the major matters that arrives when the time for the election comes is, are you prospering? Are you better off now than you were four years ago? And that's often used, of course, by the one seeking to overcome the, the incumbent. Prosperity. There isn't any question that God has showered prosperity upon this land for a long, long time. But that doesn't set aside, does it? The fact that individuals wish to prosper, the guiding theme and thought for so many in this world. What about physical prosperity? Do you have it? Do you want it? Again, we often put into office those who promise they can deliver it, those who in fact seemingly set forth a vision and a plan that make it a reality. That's what people want. I'd like to share with you a lesson this morning from the Word of God where it talks about prosperity. What does it have to say about the thought of what's involved in it? What is it that allows one to thrive? Over the next few moments this morning, I would invite you to look with me at a few passages in which prosperity is exactly mentioned, and not only that, a guarantee of it is provided. And if you and I can appreciate that, not only will it allow us to understand the greatness of this guarantee, but in fact, the far-reaching and eternal scope that it puts before us. It is with that in mind, might we begin by looking back to a scene found in the early days of the Old Testament and the notion of prosperity as it is found on that particular page. I'd invite you to revisit Deuteronomy chapter 29 with me for just a moment. In the 29th chapter of Deuteronomy, we encounter a particular saga and scene and occasion in which Moses, that grand spokesman for the people of Israel, delivered the words of God to them. And amongst the things that he said were these. Verse number 9 of Deuteronomy 29. Keep therefore the words of this covenant and do them, that ye may prosper in all that ye do. That verse isn't that lengthy, is it? And yet I've tried to copy it directly there before us so that we can keep the thought of it, in fact, clearly in mind. Moses, in essence, told them to keep the words of this covenant. What covenant? the covenant that the gracious God of Israel had given to that people, that covenant that you and I recognize and call that law of Moses. Keep this covenant, Moses asserted, speaking for God. And the closing part is that ye may prosper in all that ye do. The children of Israel were to appreciate a nobility associated with the keeping of the covenant there. And we notice on that occasion, God said, the little word that that you may prosper in all that you do. I'd invite you to reflect on the way in which that verse closes. He does say, in all that you do, identifying and helping us see that the children of Israel were going to be dwelling in a rather strange place. They were, of course, marching and headed toward that promised land. And although it was a land flowing with milk and with honey, their success was not predicated upon the physical blessings of that land. God in essence said to them, you keep the words of this covenant and you do them. You give greatest occurrence and heed to them. It is that that will be the critical element in your prosperity. The children of Israel, as you may recall, in the ways that we see in that chapter and in those that follow it, were a people that were so richly blessed in that God did give them a land that they hadn't plowed, that they hadn't tilled, vineyards that they hadn't planted and grown, characteristic of any number of ways, and yet their success, and yet their prosperity was predicated, as you can see, upon their keeping of the law God had given them. As you'll notice near the bottom of that slide, Israel was to be obedient to the commandments that God had given, and upon so doing, God would take care of the physical blessings. He would assert that things would in fact fall in line for them. And didn't He do that? It would not be many chapters forward from this time when in fact, the waters of the Jordan River parted, they crossed that sea, and into the Promised Land they went, and one by one, they conquered the peoples that were already there assembled, and this land was given to them by God. It was a rich land. It was a bountiful land. It was a very encompassing land. God kept His promise, didn't He? You might notice in this, though, Deuteronomy 29.9, Keep, therefore, the words of this covenant. Moses, three chapters from now, in chapter 32, would state to them a very powerful reality of if they fail to keep that covenant. Here we notice the guarantee of prosperity that came with their keeping it. What would happen, I wonder, if they ever reached the point when they did not keep it, if they became disobedient? In chapter 32, if you'd like to read that at some point this week perhaps and reflect upon the nature of the warnings that God gave, how sad and sorrowful it is to notice that their prosperity would be removed and their great affliction would come their way and their great difficulties would surround them, all upon the occasion of their disobedience. It may be fair then to say at this particular occasion that in regard to the nation of Israel we notice that prosperity was asserted and linked intricately to the very character of their obedience to the keeping of the covenant that God gave them. It is with that in mind, we might recall Psalm 9 verse 17. Any nation that forgets God is doomed for the pits of destruction. And we notice that the grandness and the thoroughness of a statement like that one should remind any group of people, any nation how needful it is to give credence to and obedience to the words that the God of heaven has in store for them. This matter of prosperity, at least from ancient Israel, perhaps makes us wonder, what about some other passages in which prosperity was a central feature of discussion? Might we, in fact, look at yet another one? A little bit forward to the man named Joshua... Now, in terms of books in the Old Testament, this one, of course, isn't far past Deuteronomy. Just turn over a few pages to Joshua chapter 1 and let us give some thought to the wording there that God issued to Joshua on that noble occasion when he began to take over the leadership of the children of Israel. In particular, let us read beginning in verse number 6 of this chapter, Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and of a good courage... For unto this people thou shalt divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee, turn not from it to the right or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest." This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and thou, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Interesting, isn't it, that two of those most often employed words, success and prosperity, Things, again, that our nation so frequently considers. Elected officials enjoy using those terms. And we notice that they are found in this single verse in the Old Testament. God on this occasion was speaking to Joshua. You might recall that Moses, that great servant, the one known for great meekness. In fact, I might just use this occasion as one to invite you, if at all possible, be back tonight. We will look at one of the aspects of the life of Moses this evening. And as we do so, we will ask some very leading questions that will be very helpful to us. Moses, however, as the time of Joshua chapter 1 had come around, Moses had passed away. Moses was no longer leading the children of Israel. Moses had served the years of his life and, in fact, had died on that mount, allowing him to overlook that promised land. The next leader, though, of Israel had already been selected. Joshua was his name. Many have called him the unsung hero of the the Old Testament, and arguably he was. For after all, he was able to accomplish what Moses never did. Moses couldn't even get himself into the Promised Land, but not only did Joshua himself enter there, but for a period of time he led the children of Israel in a notable aspect of prosperity. That prosperity was known for its allegiance to God. Look at just a few of these comments. It was on this occasion, God had these words for Joshua. Joshua, do you wish to be an effective leader? Joshua, do you wish to guide and lead and point this people in the place that they need to go? Let me assure you, Joshua, God said to him, you can be prosperous, and not only that, this people that you lead can be prosperous. So long as you keep in mind this thought... Did you notice verse number 6? Be strong and of good courage. It's true that it takes courage to serve the Lord. Isn't it true that, again, the servants of God always number in the minority? That was so in Moses' day. That was so in Joshua's day. And that's so in our day. But yet to Joshua it was told in verse number 7, If you wish to be prosperous, what was it that guaranteed it? Note with me again the wording, if you would. Verse 7, Be strong and very courageous, observing to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded. Turn not to the right nor to the left. Verse 7 then says, That thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. The prosperity that Joshua was to appreciate the nature of the goodness that he was to feel and that which was the thriving success that he was to know was not predicated upon the wealth he personally may have had, nor was it predicated upon the physical nature of the number of his tribe. It was predicated, wasn't it, upon his keeping the law of Moses. Now that was the law beneath which he served. He was to remain fervent and earnest and very direct in his keeping of it. It is rather amazing, it again says, neither to the right nor to the left. It sounds, doesn't it, as if prosperity is guided by a very strict rule. And Joshua was to know that rule and he was to abide by it so clearly. Notice the language of verse 8. It closes by saying, For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. That word then is an adverb that helps us appreciate this is a conclusion predicated upon the premise stated just before it. It's often as if we appreciate if something, then something. If it rains, I'll take my umbrella. We notice the if statement is something that asserts a condition, and if that condition is met, then there is a guarantee of what's to follow. What was the if then in this case? Verse number 8, The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then shall thy way be prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. You'll notice God issued another guarantee to Joshua on this occasion, didn't he? I guarantee that emanated in the reality of not only prosperity but success. But again, isn't it amazing how that the conditions are so different than what many are so quick to say today? As a nation, we say to our youngsters, you study hard, you work hard, you get a great education, you'll be successful. And not for a moment do we set aside the importance of using one's talents and using one's abilities in a way That would serve others in a good occupation. But may we never be foolish enough to overlook that God's guarantee of prosperity is not predicated on secular education. And it is not predicated upon those other matters that our nation wishes to emphasize so much. It's predicated upon an absolute, 100% service to the God of heaven. That's what Joshua needed to appreciate. And it's that that you and I in wisdom would still appreciate today. So far, what have we seen in these two instances? Israel's success predicated on keeping the covenant. Joshua's success and his thriving character predicated on an absolute reliance on the law that Moses had given. What about a third example? Another one that also makes mention of prosperity. It would perhaps be wise at this point in the lesson, to again recollect how often the thought at least of prosperity is the guiding motivation in the world in which we live. Materialism is something that is so easily able to become rampant, to guide our thinking in every way of life. And if we aren't careful, we can simply leave out these matters we've learned today. God did not guarantee prosperity based on those other matters. It was on the observance and the keeping of His will. We find also a very sobering statement. In First Kings chapter 2, "We might do well to again set the stage for the comments that David made on this occasion. Think with me for just a moment about David. David described at one point in his life as a man after God's own heart, 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. A man who had vanquished many. As a youth, he had even defeated Goliath, 1 Samuel 17. We remember so many instances about the life of David that are worthy of commendation. And yet, when he arrives at the time of his old age and the time of his death... He has some sobering words to leave to His Son. I suppose many of us, as we think about the character of life and we reach the time of our own demise, it's at that point that we often have some of the sharpest, some of the most profound and meaningful matters to bequeath to those that are our loved ones. To our children, our friends, our neighbors, if we have one last thing to say to you, what will it be? Some of the most notable words might be shared on an occasion like that one. Listen to what David had to say to his son. What things did he want Solomon to remember? What things did he want Solomon to never forget? What things did he want always Solomon to know so that Solomon could be prosperous? Chapter number 2, verse number 3 of the book of 1 Kings. I'll begin reading in verse number 1. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes and His commandments, and His judgments and His testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. That the Lord may continue His word which He spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee a man on the throne of Israel. David's dying words, in essence. Nearly the last words he ever uttered were those that he spoke to his son Solomon. And again, isn't verse number 3 a very telling statement? I might ask each of us this morning, if you could picture the time of your own death, and if you still had the character of mind and the opportunity of language and loved ones nearby, what would you share with them? Would you tell them you love them? Would you assert to them, always remain faithful to the law of God? Or would your thoughts turn to other matters that are more physical in character, make a good living, or things along that line? It is rather interesting that sometimes that occasion makes us realize that the most important things in life are the very things we'd want to share and leave. Look at what David said. Verse 3, Keep the charge of the Lord thy God. Solomon, above all other things, remember with me that Solomon had grown up in wealth. His dad was the king. Solomon had lived in the palace and he virtually had had everything that money could buy. In fact, later as he himself became king, he even admitted, whatever my eyes wanted, I had it. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On this occasion, David nonetheless said to Solomon, Solomon, Keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes and His commandments and His judgments and His testimonies. Four references to the statutes of God are listed. God's laws, God's ordinances, God's testimonies, God's statutes. David didn't leave anything unmentioned. He said to Solomon's "'Son, be faithful to the Lord.'" You keep His laws and His commandments no matter what. And you always live a life directed by the thoroughness of the teachings of the God of heaven. Don't you think you can make it on your own? Don't you go astray and think that you can choose your own path and be successful? You will fail. What a very sobering piece of wisdom this father gave to his son. Of course, as verse number 3 closes... The words sound so reminiscent to what we've seen before. That thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest. Solomon, do you want to be a success? Solomon, do you want to prosper? Do you want to thrive? Dad told him how to do it. You and I today on three occasions have seen. First was the children of Israel, and then was Joshua, and now Solomon. And in each instance... Prosperity was guaranteed but predicated upon an obedience and, in fact, a loving obedience to the commands of God. In not a single instance was it predicated upon the physical things that you and I so often consider so quickly. As you and I think about one last example, the fourth and final one of the lesson today, it too is drawn from the Old Testament and it it is drawn from the lesson text that Brother Eddie read earlier today. I would invite us to think about that one since the language is so very telling. And after we do that, we'll seek to summarize our lesson this morning. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26, we now have arrived at centuries later than the events that we read about in Deuteronomy 29. But yet we find an occasion when the particular gentleman that was reigning on the throne of Israel, throne of Judah I should say, was a gentleman named Uzziah. Along the stream of time, many things had come to pass for the children of Israel. But as you'll notice in verse number 1 of 2 Chronicles 26, Uzziah was but 16 years old when he began to reign on the throne of Judah. He was but a youth. And yet, as occasion came his way, he nonetheless reigned in a rather powerful and positive way. It is interesting in light of all of that, that this statement in verse number 5 is made concerning Uzziah. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Uzziah had the opportunity to be influenced by many forces. There were those like Zechariah who tried to influence him positively, but as we learn in the other pages of that book of 2 Chronicles, there were other instances when influences at times were not so positive. We notice something remarkable in verse 5. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. May we be quick to say that's as long as anybody's going to prosper. As long as he or she seeks the Lord, God will make that person to prosper. It may not always be immediately in the physical realm of matters. God will take care of those things, however. In Matthew chapter 6, didn't Jesus identically promise, Seek the Lord first and all these things shall be added unto you. We have the absolute statement of God's beautiful promise that if we will seek Him first... Love the Lord with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Second commandment likened to it, love thy neighbor as thyself. To quote Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. We notice there is a powerful guarantee of prosperity. As long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. God showered him with physical blessings, and not only that, his kingdom prospered as well, the one over which he reigned. These four examples that we've seen this morning challenge us greatly in the midst of a world in which we live. To recognize prosperity isn't merely attached to the physical state of things. It's predicated on something far deeper, far richer, and far more lasting, for it has eternal consequences. You and I could easily leave this life penniless and yet be so successful in the realm of eternity. For if we on that great and noble day of judgment could hear the Master say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Matthew 25, verses 13 to 21. We would appreciate the grandeur of heaven forevermore where there's unlimited riches. But on the other hand, if we had all the wealth that this world had to offer, and yet our soul was bereft of the blessing of the forgiveness offered to the blood of Christ, how sad, how sorrowful, how regretful we'd be. Is it any wonder Jesus said in Mark 8, verses 36 and 37, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There still is no good answer to that question, is there? None of us should wish to exchange our soul for any amount of money. These examples of the Old Testament today have been presented with the hope to challenge every one of us so that we might realize that prosperity in a physical realm is a great blessing indeed. But prosperity is ultimately conditioned upon our obedience to the God of heaven. That's the only lasting and true prosperity. That's the only lasting and true success that we will enjoy eternally. May none of us sell our soul for material gain. May none of us exchange the worth of our soul for what this world has to offer. It isn't worth it. It's a bad arrangement. And we come out the losers every time. Time and again, the Bible gives us examples like that. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 seemed seemingly loved both money and notoriety more than they loved truthfulness to the God of heaven. And so they lied about what they gave. They died three hours apart. The same ones that buried Ananias buried his wife too. This physical life, you see, will come to its end What kind of prosperity are you enjoying in it right now? Do you know the blessed beauty of faithfulness to God? Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Read Psalm 127 verse number 1. Is the Lord building the house that is your life? Or is your life far too much in a sense when God's got a closet in that house at best? Let God be the ruler on the throne of the house, not just a partial inhabitant in one of the closets. God needs to be the all and in all of your life and mine. Are you serving Him faithfully? Have you turned over control of your life to Him? If you haven't, then at this point you don't know true prosperity yet. Why not let Him be the ruler, the master of your life? And then you too can know the prosperity promised to Uzziah, the prosperity promised to the children of Israel, to Joshua, as well as to Solomon. This very day, may we each be wise and remember the powerful words in all four of those examples in the days of the long ago. The gospel call of invitation is set before each and every one of us this morning. The Son of God left all the riches of heaven, John seventeen four and came to this place in which He tabernacled among men. But He did so, and even Himself stated in Luke 9, 62, the Son of Man hath not where to lay His head. And yet He was the King of everything. He taught about what true prosperity is all about in the days of His own life and teaching. And He asserted that if you want to come over and live with Me, then you in fact need to recognize, Revelation 3, verses 20 and 21, absolute allegiance to the law of God in this New Testament era. Are you a Christian this very day? Have you had the blood of Christ wash your sins away in the act of baptism? If you have, you understand what a momentous day that was for you. You entered the water blackened in sin. You came up as white as a newborn baby, clean and pure. And as such, you were one prepared to walk on the roadway of everlasting life, if faithful, until death." Perhaps today you haven't been faithful until death. Maybe matters have arisen in your life and in exchange for a dollar you've sold your soul to the devil. It was a bad mistake. Why not in fact set your course back on the pathway of right, come back to the Savior that loves you, confess your sins if they're known publicly, and ask for prayers of brethren, James 5 verse 16. If this very day we could be of assistance by way of prayer or assisting you in your initial obedience... What a fantastic day for that occasion it'd be. We're going to stand in just a moment and sing this hymn that's been selected. If we could be of help to you by way of prayer, by way of assistance in terms of aiding you in your confession and baptism, why not today? Do you want to be prosperous? Do you want to enjoy the blessings of the God of heaven in the richest way possible? Knowing the forgiveness of sin, the power it makes in life, you can know that. If you aren't a faithful Christian today, why not, in fact, make that a reality by using the power of the Scriptures in bringing that to come to pass? If we could help you today, why not do that? while together we stand and while we sing.